This is Small Talk with 101 ESPN's Michelle Smallman. Hey, what's up? Welcome into episode 76 of Small Talk. I'm your host, Michelle Smallman. And no, since you last heard from me, I didn't become a smoker. I am not sucking down Marlboro Reds. I am clearly under the weather and I have lost my voice. So apologies for this gravelly tone, but you're only going to hear it at the beginning and during the review. When I taped with our guests this week, it was earlier in the week, so not as bad. So please stick with me until then. Speaking of our guest this week, I'm so thrilled to chat with Maddie Cerruti on the podcast this week. Yes, that's right. Steve's wife and one of my best friends. She's hilarious. She's wonderful. You guys are going to love her. But before we get to Maddie, I wanted to take a few minutes to talk about Kobe Bryant. The loss of Kobe and his 13-year-old daughter, Gianna Bryant, and the seven other people that tragically lost their lives in the helicopter crash in L.A. on Sunday has really affected me. I haven't been able to shake these feelings of sadness for a few days now, and I've been trying to make sense of why I feel this way. I never met Kobe Bryant. I'm not from Los Angeles. I'm not a Lakers fan. I love and appreciate basketball, but as a kid growing up in St. Louis, which is a market with no NBA team, my childhood heroes were on the baseball diamond and in the arenas. I never played basketball. I wasn't one of those kids throwing things in the trash pretending to be Kobe. Yet I have this cloud of sadness and confusion sitting in my chest, and I'm trying to process why I, of all people, am feeling these very real emotions. Okay, so what do I know about Kobe Bryant? I know he was athletically gifted beyond measure. He possessed that type of talent few people are blessed with. He was intelligent. He was charismatic. He had a curious mind. He sought out knowledge in all areas of life. We know that he was rich, famous, a champion, an icon. He was an Academy Award winner a spokesperson, someone people respected, a mentor. He had a beautiful family, a loving wife, four spectacular daughters. He had everything anyone would ever want in life. And on top of all that, he was a standard, a measuring stick. He had the type of consistent and relentless work ethic that most people can't maintain for a week, let alone a lifetime. One of my favorite things that Kobe ever said was, I have nothing in common with people who blame others for their lack of success. Great things come from hard work and perseverance. No excuses. And that was that Mamba mentality. His work ethic was otherworldly. And most of us were in awe of Kobe because of this work ethic and because of these physical gifts. And that's what's so jarring about this loss. Because despite all those things Kobe was blessed with, all the things he had earned at the end of the day, he's just like us. He's a human. Kobe was notorious for controlling all aspects of his life. And through his work ethic, he was able to manifest so many dreams. But just like us, he's vulnerable to those things that are out of our control. And I think that's why the world is mourning the loss of a man so many of us only knew from afar. I was shocked to hear that Kobe lost his life in that helicopter crash. But then to get the news that his daughter Gigi lost her life in that terrible wreckage as well, gutted me. I sobbed watching the coverage of it. I could cry thinking about it right now, and I probably will, because the Kobe I really identified with was actually in the second chapter of his life. I was producing a show at ESPN the night that Kobe had his final game when he put up 60, and seeing the softer side of this fierce competitor was a whole new look for Kobe. When he spoke about his daughters, you could see the pride beaming from deep inside him. We felt his love for his family. And I looked back on the videos of the two of them playing basketball or sitting courtside, a dad hanging with his daughter, taking in a game, talking about what's unfolding, laughing. I can't identify with the greatness Kobe possessed. I'll never have that DNA. But guess what? I'm a girl with a dad 
who took me to games, who shared his love of sports with me and used it as a vessel to teach me about hard work, community, and what it takes to be great at any aspect of your life. I think of Gigi, who was so in love with her dad, in awe of the presence that he had in her life. Not as an NBA icon, his role as a father was more powerful than anything he ever did on the court. To hear Kobe speak about Gianna one day playing in the WNBA and carrying on his legacy cracked me. L. Duncan speaking on ESPN about Kobe being a girl dad absolutely broke me. If you haven't seen this clip, I'm sure you probably have. It's everywhere. Please seek it out. It's one of the most powerful things I've seen in sports media. Kobe had his trials both on and off the court, but in totality, he lived what we perceive to be an idyllic life. So for someone of his stature to be taken so soon, so harshly, so unfairly, it forces us to take stock of our own lives. We can say YOLO all we want or read Pinterest quotes about living like you were dying, but when something like this happens to someone like Kobe, we come face to face with the unavoidable truth that nothing is guaranteed and that pain of this magnitude is possible for any of us. The reality of my own mortality and the mortality of those I love and cherish has felt like an unwanted guest these past few days, rudely inserting itself into my thoughts at all hours of the day. Our human nature is to put ourselves in the positions of those affected by tragedy. We wonder about the fear they felt in those final seconds. We cry for the loss of so many lives full of promise, cut short. We think of the unspeakable pain his wife and three daughters feel losing a husband, father, sister, and child all at once. To even think about having to live with that omnipresent and searing pain is so difficult, I, I can't even imagine it. So even though we didn't know Kobe, our empathy and compassion shows itself. And then the next wave of feeling is gratitude. Gratitude that we have another day, that our loved ones do too. Last year when rapper Nipsey Hussle passed away, I watched the eulogy that his girlfriend, Lauren London, so eloquently gave in the middle of the eye of her own storm of grief and heartache. And she said something in that speech that I'm never going to forget. She said, grief is the final act of love. And that was so profound to me. Because if we are lucky enough to feel pure, deep love for someone, unless it's us that's taken before those we love, we're all going to feel that pain. It might not be as unexpected as what happened to the people on that helicopter, but the lasting finality is the same for all of us. And it's that finality and the severity of this loss that brought so many of us together. Social media is usually a cesspool of hatred and negativity. It seems like we're all battling each other all the time. And for a few days, we all grieve together. We vowed to appreciate the time we're given on this earth and to take a little bit of that Mamba mentality and apply it to our own lives. And while we may not have known Kobe Bryant personally, we share in the grief that his family is enduring. Rest in peace to Ara Zabayan, Sarah and Peyton Chester, Christina Mauser, John, Carrie, and Alyssa Altabelli, and of course, Kobe and Gianna Bryant. All right, now switching subjects. I am thrilled to finally have our guest this week join the podcast. I talk to her about 100 times a day, so it's weird that she hasn't been a guest on the pod yet. And of course, I'm talking about Steve's wife and one of my best friends, Maddie Cerruti. Maddie, how you doing? How are you feeling about joining the pod this week? I'm so good. Thank you for having me. I feel like this is a long time coming. It is. And just to give listeners a little insight into the situation here, you are sitting in your driveway because you and Steve do not get service in your house. But I thought that you guys got that worked out. Yeah, I know, because I was calling you doing test calls. Thank you for being (laughs) helpful in that. No, so it's better. It's definitely better, but it's not consistent enough that I feel feel confident being on a full-length phone call recording with you 
I mean, Steve literally does the podcast and other radio hits from our driveway multiple times a week. We should have a mobile office in our driveway. I feel like you should get sponsored by that. Let's get Matthew McConaughey and Lincoln on the line and get you a town car. (sighs) Could you get your Land Rover people to sponsor that? That is a fabulous idea. We could get you a Land Rover or a Jaguar, really soup it up, and it could be the mobile podcast station in Connecticut. I will drive a car with branding on the side if it is a Land Rover or a Jaguar. Yeah, shout out Plaza Land Rover in St. Louis. You can find them on Olive Boulevard in Creve Coeur, Missouri. Shouts out. Unbelievable deals. Uh, But yeah, we should get you guys a wrapped car to drive around Connecticut. And they would be like, why are you guys pimping a car dealership in St. Louis in Connecticut? Why wouldn't we be? Is the question. Is the question. Listen to small talk and you'll know. That is true. It's just entrepreneurship. It's entrepreneurship. You know what? It's called the hustle. It's called the grind. (laughs) I feel like this is interesting for me because with Steve, we usually have a specific structure of things we want to talk about. But with you, we talk so many times a day and I haven't talked to you on the phone in a while. We've just been texting and DMing all the time that I feel more like this is a phone conversation than an actual podcast interview. So I'll probably have to check myself a few times to sound a little bit more professional. But I realize that a lot of our listeners, this is the first time that they're ever getting a chance to meet you. So we need to get some background on you, a little ASL, age, sex, location, back to our IM days. But give... Love a good ASL. Love a good ASL. Give our listeners a little background on you. Where are you from? What is your job, et cetera? All right. So, yeah, this must be fun. A peek inside the world of Saruti, (laughs) who is just something else. So I am from Connecticut, just like Steve. Grew up here, went to school here. I went to UConn, go Huskies. And to Steve's dismay, he hates UConn. You know, he hates everything. He does. Um, It's fine. And I am a realtor. Uh, I recently became a full-time realtor. So I do a lot of commercial and investment real estate. So any of our Connecticut listeners, Massachusetts listeners, uh, hit me up. And how do they find you for your services? You can find me at Maddie Saruti Homes on Instagram. You can also find my regular Instagram, probably tagged on something on Steve's Instagram at Steve underscore Saruti. (laughs) I have a couple background questions for you. And then we had opened it up to our listeners to submit questions for you about Steve and about your relationship with Steve. Because Steve is such an interesting character. The more and more that I've done this podcast, people at first, I think, found Steve a little abrasive. I would have people say to me, I I like Steve, but he's so negative. He's so negative. And I had someone hit me up today and say, I got to tell you, I love the podcast. And Steve is my favorite. I think I like him more than you now. And he has this interesting quality of being negative yet endearing. So we certainly want to dive into what it's like to live with someone like that if you find it out That is a hilarious way to describe him, negative yet endearing. (laughs) Do you agree? Yes, 175,000%. Okay, good. And we got a ton of questions, by the way. People were very excited to hear from you. But a couple background questions about you and Steve of my own. Where did you and Steve meet? So I was working at ESPN at the time also. Shouts out ESPN because thank God for that. So I was working there, but Steve and I would have never crossed paths in our roles. Like he, as you know, was always in a studio. And I was up the hill, like literally up the hill on the other side of campus. But my first job at ESPN, I worked 
with his cousin, and she and I became super close friends through that job and eventually lived together. We are still best friends to this day, and we met through her at an ESPN people party. So when people ask if we met at ESPN, it's like, no, but yes, but no. And then once you met Steve at the party, did you guys start dating right away or was because I can't picture Steve meeting someone and then being a pursuer. So did he pursue you or did you pursue him? If someone told me they thought Steve was a pursuer, I'd be like, do you know him? Um, (laughs) Steve, like verbatim, would tell me like, yeah, like I would go out and like I'm not going to go up to anyone. Like, I'm not going to meet anyone out because I will not physically do that. (laughs) So, no, the answer is no. We actually just became friends. We met because I was on his beer pong team. So the party was a World Cup-themed beer pong tournament with all of our friends from ESPN, extended group and such. It was so fun. So I initially was not going to go to this party. I was in a weird place, maybe had other plans. Like, I don't know, I just wasn't going to go. So I didn't join a team with my friends. And then I was like, you know what? This is stupid. Fuck it. I'm going. So my girlfriend, his cousin, was like, oh, my cousin's going, and they need another person on their team. Team England, shouts out, soccer, EPL, like, we get it, Steve. (laughs) So I ended up joining their team because they needed one more person. And I met him over text because I borrowed a Manchester United t-shirt that he had. And so then we met via text because I was like, I have nothing to wear for Team England. Like, what is this? And he was like, got you, EPL, soccer, on it. So we met at the party, gave me a shirt, I put it on, and we just became friends. And then... We were friends for a while, and our friend groups kind of merged, and we all lived in West Hartford, which we all know you were robbed of. (laughs) Yes. So we just, like, really headed off, and we have a lot of things in common. We're super, super different people, but we have a lot of similar interests, and so we just really bonded, like, sort of similar sense of humor, taste of music, and... We really just sort of headed off as friends for a while, and we used to call him Cousin Steve. He's going to hate me for telling this. So, yeah, we used to call him Cousin Steve because he was Cousin Steve. And I developed a crush on Cousin Steve. And did you ask Cousin Steve out, or did Cousin Steve get the courage to ask you out? Oh, God, no. He would never do that. He had literally no idea. Literally no idea. He came with me to my high school reunion. We'd met each other's family. We were just like straight up really good friends, but I had a crush on him. So every good love story, we got wasted and hooked up at a bar in Hartford. I think almost every person I know, our generation, that's part of the equation. If you're not wasted, how are you doing it? Well, think about our parents, right? It feels like our parents, it was very much courting back in the day. You would come up to the door, knock on the door, or grab your date. You would go to the car, et cetera. There was all these rules that you had to follow. So many people I know now, it's, how did you meet your spouse? Well, I got drunk at a bar, we made out, and it went on from there. Okay, so definitely agree. But I also feel like a lot of times, When we would hear about how our parents met or how our friends' parents met or things like that, they'd be like, oh, we met at a bar. And, like, as a younger person, you're like, cool, like, you met at a bar. Like, that sounds classy. 
And then you get old enough to go to a bar, and then you're me at Black Bear Saloon in downtown Hartford, rest in peace, it's not there anymore, which is literally the grimiest shit ever, wasted on the sweaty dance floor. And you're like, is this how all of our parents met when they said they met at a bar? (laughs) And you don't want to process that information. No, you have to immediately shut that thought out. I'm telling my kids we met at the library. And you know what? And as both of your friends, I will co-sign that. I'll say, I knew both of them met at the library. So steady, kids. They they met at the library, they held hands, and then they got married. And that's what I'm telling my children. Because if they knew what the scene at Black Bear was like, they would never be able to look at us the same. When you were painting that picture, you said you were on the dance floor. Does that mean Steve was out on the dance floor? (laughs) Yes. The best part about this whole thing and you will as someone that knows Steve well like you will be able to hear him say this and I hope that the listeners will also be able to hear him say this <laughs> so when we had our dance floor makeout, the start of a beautiful love story <laughs> there was a lot going on obviously and he remembers looking up and seeing his old roommate at the time and seeing a couple of our other friends in the near vicinity who were close enough to have seen what had transpired. And Steve's immediate reaction was, not out loud, he didn't say this, he told me this, like, I don't know, probably months later. Oh, man, I'm going to have to talk about this. (laughs) That was his reaction, because he (laughs) saw that people we knew saw this, and his reaction was, I'm going to have to talk about this. And did he, in fact, have to talk about it? I mean, eventually, when we got married, but, uh, you know, it just sort of transpired. We just sort of vaguely dated for a while, and our friends were just like, cool, this is happening. We like both of you. Let her rip. But, I mean, dudes don't go home the next morning after you stayed over somewhere and been like, hey, Steve, tell me every detail of your night. That doesn't happen. (laughs) No. What really essentially happened is he probably went home, went back to bed, and then never spoke about it until the following weekend when we were all wasted again with the same group of people and it was happening. So he didn't really have to talk about it, but the initial panic of having to talk about it really threw him. You said you had a crush on Steve, but for Steve to, in that setting, get out on the dance floor with you in that moment, That's all he needed to do to let you and other people know that he likes you. So I imagine his boys seeing this all go down and they were probably pumped for him. And so they didn't want to step on a style or cramp his his moment by bringing it up. If you knew, did you ever go to Black Bear when you lived in Hartford? Maddie, I didn't do anything in Hartford. I mean, to all the listeners out there, if any relationship has ever been robbed, it's been ours. (laughs) I know. Let's let's talk about this. So people will always say to me, you and Steve are so close. Do you know his wife? I'm like, do I know his wife? (laughs) For as much as Steve, Steve and I used to work in the smallest of confined spaces. We were in a little tiny windowless room, essentially. I mean, there was glass, but it was very small and we were stuck in there. No, it's like super windowless. Super windowless from like nine o'clock in the morning until five, six o'clock at night. We had lunch together. We traveled together. We emailed each other as soon as we left. We did everything together. He was my friend. He was my therapist. I mean, poor guy had to hear about everything. Uh, And our friendship has maintained. 
the friendship that you and I now have is the friendship Steve and I have times 100. It, it is crazy. It's insane. Insane. It's and insane. Insane. But people were like, oh, cool. You and Maddie are so close. The follow-up inevitably is, you must have loved hanging out with her in Connecticut. And I tell them, no. In Connecticut, Maddie and I were ships passing in the night. So I was developing this super close relationship with Steve. I actually helped Steve kind of plan his engagement, his proposal to Maddie. And I think that was the first time we ever even spoke on the phone. But I didn't really get to know Maddie until after I was already leaving ESPN to move and come back to St. Louis. We were robbed. (laughs) But somehow we have found a way to thrive throughout this, honestly, We have probably one of the most successful long-distance relationships, I think, in the world. And I will go to bat for that. You know what? I will, too. Maybe chapter two of our life, our friendship, is that we go on a speaking tour or we do our own podcast on how to maintain a long-distance relationship. 1,000%. Let's write a book. Monetize entrepreneurship. I think that's the theme of this, entrepreneurship. But it was so weird because I would go out with Steve. I would go out with the guys on our show. And I would do things with Danny and his wife and their children. The other guys. I wanted to be there for that. So fuck Steve. (laughs) Just kidding. I love him. But like, are you kidding me? Danny's kids are perfect little cherub angels. I wanted to hang out with them. Oh, my God. They're so precious. And their dog is amazing, too. Oh. Yeah. And I love his wife. But no, I would do things with them. And then in group settings, we would go out. But it just, it never happened. And do you remember the first time we really hung out? Because I can't even remember. It just seemed like we met and then we were instant friends. It was one of those things where I I don't remember the genesis. I was trying to think about it. And you know what it was? And well, at least this is what I think it was. Miami. (sighs) You're so right. That's exactly what it was. You came down to the All-Star game. With Steve, that is so right. And then we went to Kiki on the River, and we hung out on the beach. We had a whole weekend together. You're right. That's it. Yeah, we had an intimate weekend together. Steve was there, too, but it was basically us. But we truly, I feel like I, I don't know where we were when we first were with each other, because we were just like, oh, hey, hey, we're best friends. Bye, Steve. <laughs> and that was Miami. And that's the story of Miami. I think it had to happen there because Steve and Rosillo always do their own thing. Whenever we would travel, it would be like, oh, Steve yeah, and Rosillo are going to go to dinner. You can come too. And I feel like, thanks. I will be coming because I have nothing else to do. I mean, I've always said this to you. It's like, if Rosillo's there, I could also be there, but it doesn't matter. So you and I definitely bonded over the fact that we were always 1A or a second fiddle if it's the two of them together. We have a Q&A later, but one of the questions is about Rosillo. We got a lot of questions about Rosillo because, let's be honest, the well, of course. genesis of this podcast was Steve and I meeting, working with Ryan. But what was that like for you? Because I know what their relationship was like. They were two peas in a pod. Still are, obviously, but they don't work together as intensely as they did before. But everyone else in the room was just there. Steve and Ryan were the two that were bouncing ideas off of each other. They had the same jokes. They had the same sense of humor. It was always, hey, Steve, I have an idea. I'm going to call you later. And then the second that they leave, they're on the phone for hours. So when you guys are dating, what's that like to always know that there's this presence and Rosillo there? I think because we were friends prior, I knew his relationship with Rosillo before I wanted to be number one in his life. I mean, number one will always be FIFA. 
Um, so that doesn't matter. Regardless of Sifa, well, now it's Mumford, our dog, one of our dogs. But at the time, I mean, number one, Sifa. Number two, Rosillo. Number three, Alone Time. And then I'm just sort of in there. So I think that I was kind of aware of what the situation was. And it's obviously exacerbated if you live with someone because you see it more often. I mean, I knew what I was getting into with that bromance. There is nothing like that. You know, when people describe in movies or TV shows, they're like, when I see them in the room, everything else in the background fades away. That's Steve and Rosillo with each other. <laughs> it totally is. The when... world just melts away. <laughs> it's What's that quote? It's a Pinterest quote. Uh, you know, your heart belongs to the person that your eyes search for in a crowded <laughs> room. <laughs> yeah. Steve and Rosillo actively searching for the other one. <laughs> Do you think our friend man, or I don't really know how to describe it, has superseded the Steve and Rosillo bromance? Definitely. In a very different way, because Steve and Rosillo's relationship is not a typical a best friend that I like grew up with or like best friend that I'm it's really unique, their relationship. Whereas ours is like best friend that you talk to every day that you send a thousand memes while you're also texting them, while you're also on the phone with them, while you're also FaceTiming them. <laughs> True. Whichever ways that we can communicate at the same time, like you and I will figure out how to do it. Agreed. And I think for them, while they certainly connect on a personal level, Steve is not calling Ryan to talk about relationship issues or vice versa. Whereas, yes, I know there's a difference between male and female friendships, but you and I very right. quickly became each other's, oh my God, I'm going through this meltdown. I have to call you person. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I mean, Steve doesn't have meltdowns to even talk to anyone about. He's so even keeled, which thank God for that. But yeah, truly like he and Rosillo they just think really similarly about everything, sports, life, everything. And so that's where their connection really is. And so I think that's what makes it so unique between the two of them is they can literally not talk for a month. And then out of nowhere, he will get a phone call from Marcelo being like hot magic gossip, let's <laughs> talk for 45 minutes. And they will just sort of like spiral out of that into this conversation but they're not like hey dude how are your parents <laughs> can you, know? you imagine Although, if like, steve asked ryan how's your family been <laughs> honestly i want him to because i want to know like i want to know the intimate personal details of rosillo's life and i have finally i mean how long has steve and i've been together now five years i i finally fully won rosillo over as someone who he is comfortable being around. And I feel like that's one of my greatest life's accomplishments. How did you win him over? By straight up forcing him to just love me. <laughs> In a very non-forceful way, because it's Ryan. You know you can't do that. But I'm just completely myself around him and don't treat him like a celebrity or weirdly, I don't know, which I think, you know, in his position and in other people's positions like that, that happens a lot where people are just like a little weird around you, especially if you have a more introverted personality, but you are a celebrity. Like that's a super uncomfortable place to be, I think. Mm -hmm. So the first multiple years that Steve and I were together, if we ever crossed paths, me and Steve and Rosella, like the three of us, I would just fart Simpson into the bush and leave because... They couldn't handle it. just didn't work. Wait, so you're the side chick in this scenario, right? Oh, my God. Without a doubt. Ask Steve and 
he will completely agree. He just, like, couldn't put the two worlds together, and Ryan isn't going to be like, hey, Maddie, tell me about who you are. Shake my hand. And he'll just be like, hey, and start talking about sports. Because we used to, like, run into each other at the Starbucks at ESPN, and it's not going to be like, let's all the three of us chat about our lives. It would be like, all right, yes, I'll see myself out. Like, you guys have fun. Well, I'm glad that you want him over. I'm glad the three of you have been able to find a happy medium to hang out and that you're not the side chick anymore. I'm definitely not the side chick, but I'm not not the side chick if they are together, if you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like, you know, I love Ryan. I think he's been an amazing mentor to Steve and you and is just an all-around really great person. And I'm always in Ryan's corner. So I really enjoy if I get to spend time with him and force him to be my friend. Good work out of you. Okay, so before we get to the Q&A, I was thinking, Steve and I always do these little features or, or games or whatever. And I'm thinking, what do I do with Maddie? Because we talk about so many different things every day. I don't know how to hone it into just one subject. So what I did was I went in our text thread and I just pulled up our photos and thought, okay, let's go back and forth on the different things that we have sent each other over the past few days and weeks. So, oh my God, I know this could be dangerous. So it's kind of photo roulette. Can you imagine, can you imagine if that stuff was published? Like if you went into all of your text conversations with your best friends and just the photos that you have in there was published into a scrapbook. Imagine. (laughs) So here's the thing. When girls are texting guys, they're sending hot photos of themselves, right? When girls text girls, we're like, look how ugly I am today. And you send yourself looking foul. Yeah. Oh, my God. Absolutely. I feel like, you know, the things, the memes where it's like things I sent to him, things I sent to my friends. And it's like him, a cute outfit all done up. And her, it's like 18 double chins (laughs) in the middle of your forehead face mask on, hot dog hanging out of your mouth kind of a thing. (laughs) Totally. I mean, now I feel like Steve is also on the receiving end of things like that, but we're just at that stage. But yeah, I mean, if the pictures that we've sent each other were published, we would be in jail. Well, speaking of jail, the first photo that I pulled that you sent me, (laughs) you know where I'm going with this. So I don't know where you were. You were out and about in Connecticut and you sent me two pictures of a car that you saw. So the side of it looks like a police car and it has a shield, an emblem, all of it. On the side, instead of St. Louis police, it says in all caps, booty patrol. And it has Uh on the shield a picture of a peach. And then on the back, it says keep back 500 yeet. And the license plate says butta. B-H-U-T-T-A. Butta. Butta. So where were you when you saw this vehicle, and did you see the owner of Booty Patrol? So, unfortunately, did not see the owner. I'm devastated that I did not see the owner. We were leaving a brewery in one of the towns nearby, and I legitimately thought the police were there. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? When we were walking out, I'm like, I didn't see any police in there. Their lights are on. Hmm. And then we get closer, and I was like, are you shitting me? <laughs> Booty Patrol. There are so many layers to this to unpack. I think I posted it on my Instagram with something along the lines of, like, I don't want my children to grow up in a world where this car exists. And that is terrifying that some person went to a car detailing location and was like, all right, I need you to soup up my Dodge Charger. And they're like, sick, dude, what do you want? And he's like, all right, police colors, 
here's the text. Booty patrol. Can you imagine being at the DMV requesting butter as your license plate? <laughs> no. Yes. I can't. B-U-T-T-A-H. Butter. Butter. Okay. And imagine getting it and being so proud of it and putting it on your car. Yeah, being like, this is sick. <laughs> and the car was also the Instagram handle for the owner, which if I'm driving a Land Rover around sponsoring them, I'll drive around with that Instagram handle on there. You know, like whatever we need to do, I'm down for it. But this man put his personal Instagram on the side of the car, and it said something along. I forget what the Instagram is. It's like, it's on there. You could probably see it in the picture. Something like Butter Man or like <laughs> Booty Patrol 69 or like something <laughs> stupid like that. It's actually and, the real Butter on Instagram. Yep. Yep. That sounds right. And I obviously went to look at it, and it is remarkable. And I honestly hate that I'm giving this guy so much free press right now. But it is a remarkable Instagram account. He has a lot of followers. Almost 7,000. It's Yeah. And it's basically just women with their asses out posing near it. And then also pictures of him with like a, you know, just like a hot selfie. So I'm looking at it now. His name is, <laughs> I can't with this. His name is Shiraz Butta. It's a personal yep. blog. He's the Booty Patrol owner. The wrap, by the way, of the car was done by Image Detail. So if you want to check them out. But there's all of these photos of the Booty Patrol out and about. And yes, it's him lounging on the car saying, how thick was she? Then it's a girl with her pants down and the butt out at Booty Patrol at Elmer's Place. Don't know where that is. Let's check it out. Newington, Elmer's Place in Newington. A girl pulling her pants down. Caption, how crazy is Crazy Blondie? She just pulls her pants down outside the bar. This is content that people might want to check out. I don't really know. I just want to know, why are you following this account? Who are you that's following this account? Why did this man start this account? Is this just a cultural thing that I'm just not understanding? Is this one of those things that, like Billie Eilish, I'm too old to understand it? But he seems older than me, so I'm not quite, I'm just not understanding it. It is, however an incredible peruse. You know, I've got to tell you, as I'm clicking through these, his captions aren't half bad. <laughs> He's got... And, I'm sure I could get you in one of the pictures, Michelle, if you'd like to. Thank you, Maddie. But you know what? When I come out to Connecticut, I don't think I'll have enough time. We'll be hanging out. But like this one, he's in the woods in what's called the Pirate's Cove caption. I can relate to pirates because I, too, am after the booty. Yeah, that's fire. That's good content. Here's another one of a girl washing booty patrol in a thong. Caption, rub-a-dub-dub, I've got half a chub. Wow, that is visually uncomfortable. Um, (laughs) And I'm not even looking at it. But I I give him credit for really just putting his whole self out there for us. Yes, thank you for introducing me to The Real Butta on Instagram and the car. Okay, so moving on, the next meme that you sent me, and this is one that I think about often. So this is from Insta Single, which is a great meme account. If you don't follow them, you should. This girl, well, yes, it's a girl, tweeted, one time a boy and I had tiramisu 
And a week later, I texted him, I, Tara, miss you. And he hasn't responded. It's been 203 days. Not that I'm counting or anything. But Brian, if you see this, please text me back. <laughs> I'm laughing and I haven't even seen it again. I mean, it's amazing. What dude are you that you go out and get tiramisu and you get a text that says, I, Tara, miss you. And you're not like, well done. One, tiramisu, underrated, best dessert. Okay, I'm not going to say best dessert, but... It's really high up there for me. Wow, I didn't know that Two. about you. Oh, it is so high up there for me. It's like top five, top three. Okay, what's your top three then? I must know. Oh my God, this is really hard. I don't know if I can answer this question. I mean, so, okay, if we're talking like I'm looking at a dessert menu at the average restaurant dessert menu, you know, and tiramisu is on there, 99.9% of the time, that's what I'm ordering. Wow. Like, I'll order that over Death by Chocolate Cake. I'll order that over Peanut Butter Pie. I don't know why I'm acting like the only restaurant I eat at is Chili's, because <laughs> I don't eat at Chili's, but to Steve's dismay. But, yeah, I would probably pick tiramisu over most things on a menu. I would also pick a good fruit cobbler. Maybe that's just the New England in me. I mean, top desserts, if there's, like, a cookie and ice cream, that's probably number one. Yeah. How can you go wrong there? A skillet with some ice cream like on it? a skillet cookie? Yeah. Oh, my God. I can't believe you put a fruit cobbler in your top three. I don't know if that's in top three. I'm just thinking about the average dessert menu. I feel like there's usually a creme brulee. Some sort of. Oh, yeah. I'm never going to pick creme brulee. No, wow. thank you. I don't get I don't get the creme brulee hype. Well, it's delicious, and there's a lot of texture there. You have the glass top, essentially, the crumbly of that, the sugar, and then you're cracking into it to get the creamy bottom. It's amazing. You know, I'm a sweet, I'm a sweet guy. Like I know Tom's not a sweet guy, but I'm a sweet guy. And the layer of sugar, not for me. I don't know. It just doesn't, you know, I feel like when I'm eating a dessert, I'm usually super full, but I'm still getting dessert, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I still want my dessert to be everything and more. I want it to be filling. I want it to be worth the six to $9 price I'm paying. And so I feel like creme brulee is just not there for me. I understand the artistry of it. And as a self-proclaimed foodie, I think it's beautiful. Just not for me. I'm Googling creme brulee, vanilla bean, creme brulee. Oh, my God. Get out of here. A French classic, vanilla bean and caramelized sugar. I mean. I don't think it tastes bad. I'm not saying I don't like the taste of it. I'm just saying I don't want it. I've never made it. And now that I'm looking at it, there's a lot of prep involved. Three hours and 30 oh, minutes yeah, total. very involved. Although creamy pudding-like desserts seem very simple, they're not. They take a lot. And that's a hot tip from us to you. Creamy pudding desserts. A Are you lot guys of looking for the hot dessert tips? Come to us. Come to Small Talk. Actually, they can come to our blog that we've been trying to make for two years. Yeah. We will give the people what they need eventually. What, like 83% of our conversations revolve around what we ate that day? Oh, Definitely. I mean, what female friendship isn't about what you ate that day? Totally. About, oh my God, I had this amazing bite. You should try this. You should try this recipe or shaming ourselves because we just ate a bag of chips and then a bagel. Correct. And that is what our blog will bring. Not the shaming part. No. Food shaming is stupid. Totally. Eat it. Life is too short. Eat everything in sight. You know, in moderation because American obesity is a situation we don't need to get into. (laughs) But truly, eat it. A life without food is not a life. A life without carbs is not a life. I just, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to spit the straight facts on that. I did not eat carbs or sugar for five weeks leading up to our wedding because I was stupid and bought a very sheer dress. And 
I was a miserable human being. I have decided, and I decided this a long time ago, that my happiness far outweighs having my ideal body. You know, I would rather carry an extra six pounds of happy weight. And by that, I mean, if I'm eating carbs, it's because I'm at a meal with my friends and we're laughing and I'm ordering pasta. Those are happy pounds instead of being an Instagram model. That's just going to be my life. And I'm totally okay with it. Oh, absolutely. I fully stand by that and support it. And I also say, and this is kind of a controversial take, especially for people our age, I would always rather eat than drink. And same people have my whole life that I've said this. And by my whole life, I mean like my whole drinking life. So college and up have been like, no, who cares? Let's go out and get wasted. And I'm like, yeah, but have you guys seen the wings? (laughs) So I just don't understand why, like if I had to choose, I would pick food over drinking every single time. So I told you I'm doing dry January right now. Once I got back from my trip. Why would you do that to yourself? So listen, once I got back from my trip, it was 17 days other than when I got food poisoning of straight drinking. And I am talking like when I was in New York, we did a a tasting menu. So at a cocktail bar. So it was like seven flights of drinks and red wine for the holiday dinner. Then it was day drinking, playing beer pong. My body cannot sustain it, okay? I'm not in college anymore. I got home, and the thought of even looking at alcohol was just, ugh, I couldn't do it. Even towards the end, I would have a beer and be like, we're good here. I just can't do it. So I needed that break. Alcohol and I needed that break. I hear that. I've lost five pounds, and I'm not eating any differently. I've worked out maybe twice all month because my work schedule has been so insane, and I've lost five pounds, which tells you as an adult, I mean, when you're younger, you can drink all the time, and your metabolism is through the roof, and you're dancing so much on the dance floor that it's fine. It cancels itself out. As an adult, people have always said, once you stop drinking, your body will transform, and I never believed them, and it's not like I'm drinking all the time, so I didn't think it would be that big of a deal, but my body has shed itself from the the extra weight, the extra booze weight. Yeah, I definitely get that. I mean, if you look at every single person's college photos from the day of their graduation, they're all puffy and disgusting looking, Right. and then fast forward into adulthood, and you're like, wow, maybe I shouldn't have drank 17 days in a row. And that's fine, but I'm totally with you. I mean, even after a weekend straight, like if we're with friends or we're away, I cannot continually drink anymore back to back to back. My body just cannot sustain that. I will have one night and then I'm like, I need to recoup, you guys. (laughs) I'm tagging out. I can't be ripping shots off the bar day two. To bring a full circle, that's what I've learned during dry January is that I'm still eating nachos and pasta and all of these things that I like, but with the alcohol out, my body has adapted. So if I have to choose pasta and pizza and nachos over booze, I'm taking the Maddie philosophy and I'm going food all day. All day. I mean, there's really just no, there's no, it's not even a choice for me. It's just like, duh, food. And also I would argue that most alcohol does not taste good. And so you're really doing it, you know, just for the experience. Yeah, I know Everyone's going to be like, well, a good Manhattan. Like, all right, shut up. It's fine. But if you're telling me that your drink tastes better than this slice of pepperoni pizza, then you're just wrong. Yeah, no Manhattan equals a good slice. 
No, and I love a good drink. I love a good bottle of wine. I like getting cocktails. I like going out and doing all of that. Don't get me wrong, but I am 100% the person that will go out and eat a giant meal and drink half of their glass of wine and be too full to finish it and be like, well, you know, we're calling it. I need sweatpants. We're good here. Well, now that we're dedicating ourselves to food in 2020, we have to get the blog up and running because all Maddie and I do is exchange recipes. We make all of these different dishes and then we review them to ourselves. And we were like, we should do this for the people. You know, hey, I'm trying to make a healthy salad. Well, this one tastes like garbage. Don't do it. Maybe try this one instead. That's what we want to bring the people. Exactly. There's so much content on there when it comes to food blogs and recipes. Why not have a place to go where someone's already reviewed it and told you if it's good or not? So keep your eyes peeled for that in 2020. We'll have Maddie back on the podcast to talk exclusively about food. Since we've already had you on for a little bit, we've got to get to the Q&A. Obviously, people were very excited to hear from you, and they have all of these questions about Steve, and who better to answer them than his wife, the person who lives with him every day. So, Maddie, are you ready to answer some questions about your husband, Steve Cerruti? I'm super ready. He is so nervous about this. <laughs> I am glad. He, he was like, what are the questions like? I was like, I don't know. We will find out. Yeah, Steve, you're going to have to listen to the pod and find out. Okay. Oh, God, he's going to... I can't wait. All right. I'm just playing this up. Okay, question number one. Maddie, what is the most romantic thing Steve has ever done for you? Um, hmm. Steve's not the uh, romantic type, which I'm sure comes as no surprise to anyone that knows him or listens to him. He's not big into romance things. He's not, like I said, like he's not going to pursue anyone. Um, but he does do very sweet gestures. He knows I really like flowers, so on special occasions, he will usually buy me flowers, um, which I think is a very sweet gesture and very romantic of him. He's not a planner. He is so plan-averse, it's almost scary, and I am a super planner. I am super type A. I used to do event planning for a career. I love planning. I love it. And he uh, knew I was really stressed out with work and was really, really busy. And we hadn't spent a lot of time together. And I was taking a class and studying and doing all this stuff. And he knew I needed a break, but I hadn't really, you know, expressed that. And he went out of his way and told me, keep writing it open. You're not studying. I'm taking you out to dinner. And he made a reservation at this really nice place in town that we only go to for, like, very fancy date night and planned a whole night. And so, you know, he has he has it in him. It doesn't come out a lot, but he has it in him. Oh, my God, Steve, how nice. Yeah, he's nice. <laughs> Love that story. Okay, next one. Let's bring it back to reality. Steve is annoyed by everything. Yeah. So I want to know from you, Maddie, what is the most annoying thing about Steve? <laughs> Steve is annoyed by most things. He isn't as negative as I think he can come off. Especially if you're, like, listing off, you know, cool, I don't care. Like, of course, he's annoyed by everything. Um, but he definitely, he definitely is annoyed by a lot of things. Um, I'd say for things that he annoys me with, he has zero directional ability. And it is baffling. He has this thing where, like, if he gets in the passenger seat of your car, he completely relinquishes any responsibility of knowing where he's going at what time it is it just is gone and so he doesn't pay attention to where you're going so say we go out to dinner at a place in town 
And then a month later, we're like, let's go to the same place. And he's driving. He has absolutely no idea how to get there. We have lived in the same town for over three years. And just three days ago, we were going to somewhere that we've been. And he took a completely wrong turn. And I was like, what is happening? He has no idea. Like, he just does not care to have any directional ability. And that bothers me. It's mostly hilarious, but it's super annoying. And he also never gets the mail. He just doesn't think that's a thing that has to be done. So if I go away, like, for work travel or for any other reason, I have to leave an explicit note that says, get the mail. And I also have to text him to get the mail. Because if not, we will have seven days worth of mail building up in the mailbox. That one is annoying. I would be so annoyed by that because it's such a simple task. We drive by the mailbox multiple times a day. <laughs> just get the mail. Just get but he, the mail. His defense is, yeah, just get the mail. His defense is, I do other things, which yes, he does. But like, remember to get the mail if I'm not home to get the mail. Have you ever left the note and texted him and he still didn't get the mail? Ooh, I don't know. I mean, there was a time that I was away. I think I was there for four or five days for work. And I didn't think I needed to remind him to get the mail after, you know, maybe one or two days he'd forget because he's busy, he's doing whatever. But like by day three or four, wouldn't you be like, hey, look, I haven't seen any mail. (laughs) Nope. I get home and I open the mailbox and it shoots out at me. That's how much mail was in there. Like, physically shot me in the chest. And I was like, are you for real right now? He was like, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't need the mail. Like, why do people use the mail? I'm like, okay. In his mind, you know, it's 2020 figured out. Like, you don't need to use the mail. Like, there's the internet. And I'm like, that's not quite how it works. But he has me to get the mail. I'm glad. That's, see, that's what a relationship is about. Balance, right? Totally. And this one's interesting. If Steve was a superhero, who would he be and why? He's way too cynical to be a superhero. That's just not a thing. I mean, can you imagine? Okay, so I picture the superhero that's like, let me save humanity and the world. And Steve would be like, well, honestly, you guys are stupid. And I don't think you need saving. And I'm going to go play FIFA. So I just think he's a little too cynical to be any kind of Superman, I think, or superhero. If he was any sort of, like, fantasy-type person, he'd be more like the Chris Pratt character in Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, knows how to shoot a space gun and, like, has skills but isn't actually superhuman fully. Okay, let's picture Steve as Batman. He sees the bat signal in the sky. And he's like, honestly, why am I going to save Gotham with the way that global warming is trending? You're all going to be gone in 20 years anyway. Like, why put myself through that? He would, yeah, he would see the bat signal. He would look up from his FIFA game, see the bat signal, hear the alarm, hear what's-his-face Michael Caine be like, dude, they need you. And he'd be like, you know what? They can figure it out. It's 2020. And then he would turn back and play FIFA. That would be Davis Batman. What a scene. We should talk to uh, Michael Bay about that one. I think it'd be a great reboot. Cynical Batman. I mean, he was already kind of cynical, if we are really talking about Batman, but Steve's cynicism is at a totally different level. It really is. It really is. I mean, he is so cynical and pragmatic with everything. You can't shake him. Nope. Okay, That yeah, that's a question we had. Next one. Saruti is always so rational. What's one thing that makes him fly off the handle? 
oh my god, bad driver. He cannot handle it. He cannot handle it. Basically, comes down to stupidity for him. He just can't handle people that are doing stupid things. And so, bad drivers usually are doing stupid things. And he has absolutely zero patience for that. If someone does something stupid, say they like cut him off, or I don't know. I, I, there are a million examples of things that could happen. He will pull his car up behind them, one centimeter away from them, and start mother effing them in his in the car and tailgate them. And I'm over in the passenger seat having a heart attack because all this is going down. And he just can't handle it. That's what really makes him fly off the handle. He also really does not like when people have a lack of spatial awareness. <laughs> and one of those people is me. And I think I have overall lack of spatial awareness, but he thinks I don't. I don't. And, you know, if people are walking in a mall and look down at their phone and then turn into you, Steve's not there for that. He cannot handle that. Zero patience for any stupidity like that. Yeah. As someone that works with him so much, he was so chill all the time. But if you were ineffective at your job, he had no no time for you at all. No, he really would like to be a teacher, I think, of many things. But he's sort of the kind of person that's like, I don't know how to teach it to you. Like, I just do it. And doesn't know or have the patience to teach you how to do it. He'd rather just do it himself because he can just get it done better and faster. And he's an efficient dude. He has a lot going on. And so the patience is not there for that. Physically, I can picture him as a teacher because he has the outfit and the aesthetic of a teacher. You know, I can see him walking in with, with a blazer, a nice button down. He would have great shoes, a briefcase. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? But I can just picture the kids asking stupid questions and him being like, well, this is done. <laughs> We're done here. Yeah, I think they would ask stupid questions and he would just sort of close his eyes slightly and just be like, let's try that again. <laughs> Don't ask that. <laughs> I just, I mean, I think he would be a good teacher because I, you know, if he learned how to teach, but you know, teaching's not for everyone. Okay. Next one, Michelle, I'm so excited that Maddie's going to be on the podcast this week. It's so cute. When Steve talks about Maddie, you can tell how much he loves her. Please ask Maddie if Steve has ever said anything on air about her that she wished he didn't say. Oh, that's so nice that people think that. Um, <laughs> he says nothing but nice things about you. He's never annoyed with you. Yeah, no, I know. Listen, um, he, no, he honestly really has never said anything that I'm like, seriously, dude, not the space. Because he's so aware of keeping his own shit, his own shit. He's just not, I mean, he's not like a share, oversharer or anything like that. There are a lot of times, this is not about me, but especially if I'm listening to this podcast, because it's stuff that you guys have talked about, you and I have also talked about it separately, or <laughs> something that's gone on that Steve and I, you know, he's sharing a memory of something, and he'll relay it, and I'm like, that's not, that's not what it was. He'll be like, I can't remember what that was. And I'm like, well, if I was just sitting there, like, I could tell you what it was. And so those are the things where I'm like, oh, man, I should just be there because I can answer these questions more thoroughly. Um, but about us or me, he's never overshared. You know, he has always, I feel, said either neutral things or nice things. 
Agreed. And, you know, I did think about that. At first, I was like, I want you to join the two of us together on this podcast. And then I thought, no, you are so much of a personality on your own. I don't want you to have to go back and forth. We just need to let you shine here. I know people when they saw that I was coming on were like, oh, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> and then they were like, are you going to be on together? And I was like, you know, maybe another time Michelle will have us both on because I think he would be hilarious with me there. But no, I think he's always been very respectful. I mean, not, I mean, what would he have to even share about me? That would be bad. I don't know. He just, we're kind of a boring couple. <laughs> well, that's the thing about both of you is you're both, you have nothing to hide. You're both so transparent about everything, how you feel, what's going on in the situation. Totally. So yeah, there's nothing to hide. I don't think there's really anything that he could reveal that would upset you. But I, I thought it was an interesting question no. because if the answer was yes, of course like I wouldn't know what it is. Yeah, no, I definitely like the question. Okay, next one. The stories of Rosillo calling Steve are legendary. Other than Valentine's Day, because we know that story, is there another inopportune time that Rosillo has called Steve? Literally every time we're about to eat or get food. <laughs> <laughs> That's an exaggeration, but truly, I, I mean, okay, so there's obviously a three-hour time difference. So when we're getting food, Rosillo is probably not getting food. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. They talk all the time. They talk a little less now that they're not working together, but, I mean, they still talk a lot. And there have been plenty of times where I'm sitting there waiting to either go in to order food somewhere or I've made dinner and we're waiting to go have dinner at the kitchen table or something like that. And he and Rosella are just gapping away, the two of them talking it out, you know, theorizing, you know, a lot of things to go through. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm sitting here and I'm starving. So can you, two lovebirds, wrap it the fuck up? <laughs> and does he or is he like, no, no, I'll eat later. Enjoy your meal. It's a mix. Uh, definitely a mix. Sometimes he'll be like, all right, dude, like, I, I got to go like, I gotta eat. Or sometimes I'm the side chick and I will just be like, all right, talk to you in 90 minutes. <laughs> but, I mean, the Valentine's Day is story is truly legendary but you know there have been plenty of other times where I'm like all right he could have called not right now or you guys could talk for 45 less minutes but usually I just sort of let it fly let them do their thing and you know I appreciate them for what they are and that's why you're a great wife okay two more this one's random too but we gotta ask him is Steve's name wasn't Steve what do you think his name would be? Oh, my God. Or what's a, ask him this question. What's a fitting name, I guess? He, I cannot answer that question because I like his name. I like, I don't know, I think he looks like a Steve. He hates his name, and he, I mean, he would probably be like something like Giuseppe or some <laughs> soccer shit like that. I don't know. He would be, you know, he just doesn't think his name is interesting, and he will always say, I don't know, it's just like Steve. Well, what? what does that mean? He's like, I don't know. My name's just Steve. I'm like, yeah, it's nice. It's fine. Your name is Steve. And he just doesn't think, I guess, it has any oomph to it. I don't really know what he's looking for. If he wants to be like something super soccer and Italian like Francesco, um, you know, those conversations have come up when we talk about our future children and what we would want to name them. And I have laid down the law hard on 
super, super Italian names because I'm like, we are not that Italian. So having our kid Giuseppe Cerruti walk into Glastonbury Elementary School, he'd be like, who's this loser? (laughs) Giuseppe Cerruti is an awesome name. I'm sorry. I'm going to back Steve on this one. I mean, I don't think he actually wants to name our kid Giuseppe, but I wouldn't (laughs) be shocked if he's like, you know what? Giuseppe. Ronaldo Cerruti. Oh, my God. No, I refuse. I just, I can't. If it's a family name, that's a different thing. If this is us, just for example, Steve, should we name, no. He would more so say something like, well, what about the name Mateo? Which we would never name our kids Matt because there's 100 Matts in our life. But, like, Mateo. I'm like, well, there's Matt. Like, we're American. (laughs) He's like, yeah, but Mateo's Italian. It's more interesting. Well, no. So that's the kind of conversations that we have about that. So I don't know what his name would be if it wasn't Steve. I always said um, I thought his name was Stephen Angelo Cerruti. Like before I even knew his middle name, I was like, it has to be Stephen Angelo. It just seemed so fitting to me and so Italian and that it just went. And so I always used to call him Stephen Angelo. His middle name is Joseph. His middle <laughs> name is not Angelo. But Stephen Angelo just feels right. So that's what he is in my head. Actually, now that you just said that out loud, he looks like an Angelo. Okay, doesn't it? Yes. Stephen Angelo Cerruti just sounds like what his name is. It's not. It's Stephen Joseph Cerruti. But I am just, I knew that it was Stephen Angelo from the moment I met him. And I was like, well, you're Stephen Angelo to me. Well, Angelo could still be on uh, the cutting room floor for your children. Angelo Cerruti is a dope name. Is it, though? (laughs) See, but this is where Steve and I are so similar, is we both want to name our kids hyper-Italian names. I mean, if it was up to me, I would have a whole squad of Italians just running around, and they would all have really intense names that end in a vowel. See, the name that you want to name your daughter makes sense to me. I don't know if you've announced it on the podcast, but I won't say it. Yeah, no, don't reveal it, because I, I have not. Yes, so I know it has meaning to you. Yeah. So that makes sense, like a family name or other things that have meaning to you that that I'm cool with. I'm down with that. But like naming our kid San Michelle or some shit, <laughs> I'm not like, no, I'm just not doing that. We've always said that our child is going to be LeBron James Jr. Rudy, the small white boy playing basketball. That would actually be. I mean, I don't think you want to use a joke on your child's name. Probably not the right environment. But to name your kid LeBron James Cerruti would be hilarious. LJ Cerruti, LeBron James Cerruti. And the best part about it is that our child is going to be super small. We know this. It's going to be scrawny. It's going to hit puberty at 45. It's just going to be small. So, like, how funny would it be if our kid was LeBron James? LeBron James Cerruti. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so that's, you know, that's a high contender, LeBron James Cerruti. Okay, good, good to know. All right, final one. Steve is steadfast in his assertion that he is not a cat guy. Please (laughs) ask Maddie if she thinks Steve is a cat guy. Wow. Okay, a lot to, a lot to unpack here. (laughs) Um, And how much I want to reveal on his behalf. Um, okay, so he's not a cat guy. I, he doesn't like cats. He likes our cat. And 
he doesn't not like like my parents can't. You know, I think he can understand and appreciate the aesthetic of a cute cat. Uh, but he's not a cat guy. He's not the one that's going to be like, hey, Matt, do you want to get seven more cats? Whereas I'm like, let's get seven more cats. <laughs> he's a total dog guy. He's obsessed with our dogs and has always been obsessed with dogs. I don't know if he's told the story on here where his parents were making a surprise announcement when he was little and he got super excited and was like screaming and jumping up and down and was like, oh my God, you're getting us a dog. And they were like, ooh, we're going to Disney. And he was like, well, fuck that. <laughs> I want a dog. And <laughs> that is so, the most Steve thing of all time. That is so funny. Yeah, so he was pretty bummed about that one. He is definitely a dog guy. I will stand by him and say that he's not a cat guy. He does like our cat because our cat is super chill. He's really down to hang. He's cool with the dog. So I will stand by Steve here and let you all know he is not a cat guy. I love that you stand in solidarity with him on this very important issue. It is a very important issue to him, I think, that people know that he's not a cat guy. Yeah, it is. And I can honestly say, correct, he's not a cat guy. But I don't think being a cat guy or a dog guy or whatever it is means that you don't, you can't like a singular cat or a few cats or, you know, I just think he's open-minded to our cats. Well put. Well put. He's honestly open-minded to me because I want a zoo and he has obliged. Yeah, but I also think when you own a cat, you automatically become a cat guy. You're qualified as a cat guy. For me, I mean, cat people are so extreme in most cases. And I will, I mean, I love cats. I'm proud to say that. But I think cat people can get a really bad rep. And so, you know, they're getting labeled as, cat ladies or cat guys because they're like tattooing you know cats on them and putting those bumper stickers on their car that say i heart my cat and stuff and not all cat people are created equally i will also defend the cat community (laughs) just endearing yourself to people all over these airwaves This was so fun. Thank you for being such a good sport and answering all of our listeners' questions. I still have 15 more that I I didn't have time for because we're already past an hour here. And I had a long... Can you send them to me, though? I want to see what people ask. Yeah, I can try and screenshot them and text them to you. Some of them were super interesting. God, I need to see them. I think I I showed you this one just because it was so funny. Uh, One of them was, what is the sexiest thing Steve does? (laughs) Which I was like... Oh, my God. Thank you for not asking me that. <laughs> I did it more for Steve, if we're being honest. I just don't think I have um, an answer that people would like. I don't know if, if we want to know. Yeah, if I was like, you know what? He played it really cool when you guys were talking about the cardiophile fetishes, <laughs> but and then like completely delved into something crazy. Uh, I would be. To say stunned is an understatement. <laughs> Well, there's a a Netflix series called Explained, which if you haven't watched it, you should. And they've now spun off to do like mini series off of specific topics. Mm -hmm. And there's one about sex right now. And so it's all different things that fit into that. So like childbirth, which I made him watch and he was horrified. 
and one of them is sexual fetishes, and we haven't watched it yet, but I was like, oh, maybe this will explain why cardiophiles are cardiophiles. And he was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, the podcast. And he was like, oh, my God, you're right. (laughs) How soon we forget, Steve. (laughs) I mean, that is a memory that happened to someone else that will ever be burned into my own mind. Same. I know. People have asked, people have come up to me on the streets and asked me about the cardio frog. I mean, it's insane. Hey, everyone has their thing. Everyone has their thing. Well, Maddie, this will not be the last time that we talk to you. I hope you know now that you've been on here and people are going to fall in love with you. We're going to be bugging you to join us again soon. But thank you for taking the time to do this. Oh, well, thank you for having me. And I hope Steve and I are still married after he listens to this and I can come back on. But You know, it was his mistake for letting us become best friends. So this is truly on him. Sit back. Relax. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. It's time for a review on the Small Talk Podcast with Michelle Smallman. Brought to you by Land Rover St. Louis. Isn't Maddie the best? Love her. So pumped that we got to do that. Okay, you know what that sounder means. Time for a review. All right, so I don't usually acknowledge trolls on this podcast or in life in general, but I also think if we're going to read all of the five-star reviews, we should read that rare one-star review as well. I know that this podcast isn't for everyone. Sometimes you're not going to like features that we do or what Steve and I had to say, and that's what we want these reviews to be about. We want to hear from you about the things that you like and dislike about the podcast. But... This review feels a little personal. The last one-star review that we got, I think it's the only one-star review we ever got, didn't like our new producer, Anthony, because of his take on the show, The Politician. And I get it. Anthony did come in a little hot for his first time on the podcast. He gave his opinion on the show and the preview. It's not something I would have said. It's probably not something Steve would have said, but Anthony is Anthony, and we wanted to showcase his personality, so we decided to leave it in. And even though the review was pretty rude, it was about the content of the show. But this review I'm about to read is clearly from someone who just doesn't like me as a person. And I actually think it's funny because they don't really know me as a person. So here is the review. This is from MA number 123, subject line, huh, one star. Suburban white sorority girl who seems to take more vacations than actually work has gall to tell listeners, quote, I think traveling makes you a better person, end quote, eye roll emoji. First of all, it's has the gall. So if you're going to come at me, at least make sure it's grammatically correct. All right. Okay, we're going to break this down. But just to throw it out there, bringing up the fact that I was in a sorority is super strange because... I graduated college a long time ago. It's not really an identifier of mine anymore, but hey, whatever. Okay, continuing. Where this reviewer really goes left is when they say they think I, quote, seem to take more vacations than actually work. Here's the reality of the situation. I'm currently working about four full-time jobs right now. After I transitioned off of the morning show, I assumed that new digital social role And about, I don't know, a month after I got my new job, we had a situation on the midday show and I got pulled to host four hours of radio Monday through Friday. Actually, I shouldn't say I got pulled to do that because I still have to do my social and digital job on top of hosting. So that's two full-time jobs. Then that show parted ways with its producer. Our new producer doesn't start until next week. So that's been a couple months where 
we didn't have a producer. Guess who's producing that show? Anthony and I. That's three jobs. And on top of all that, I host, edit, book, produce, and deal with all the sales of this podcast, which is really like three jobs in one. But let's just count it as one and say we're up to four full-time jobs. And I just took another job that's going to be announced on Friday, which I'm really excited about. So we're quickly approaching five jobs. Actually, now that we're working through this, since I got back from my trip, I worked from 7 a.m. until 7 p.m., sometimes as late as 11 p.m. for, I don't know, 23 days straight. I also work weekends. I worked the winter warm-up. I hosted a football show on championship weekend. I had the NHL All-Star festivities. I work holidays. My schedule isn't normal. I get different vacation times because I work all the days. This reviewer is hanging out in their mom's basement. But this is the most important part about this. Do you want to know why I talk about my trips and not all the stuff I have work-wise on my plate on this podcast? Because bitching about work is boring. It's boring. Everybody is busy. Everyone. My friends have full-time jobs. They're mothers. They're wives. They have so much shit going on. This is not unique to me. You know what isn't a good podcast? Running through all the shit you have to do every day. This podcast is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to make people laugh. It's not an audio version of my time card. All right, what did this reviewer end it with? I had the gall to tell listeners, I think traveling makes you a better person. To say gall? Gall's a pretty aggressive word. To say traveling makes you a better person isn't an outrageous statement. It's actually pretty factual, and let me explain. When you get out of your comfort zone, it puts things in perspective. When I get to go to all of these different places and see how other people are living, it makes me not care about all the work that I have on my plate. It makes me grateful for that work. It makes me more empathetic to other people. It deepens my understanding of the differences between people. Makes me really grateful for everything that I do have. I talked about it in the open, about the hate that we usually see online. And I think most of the time, that stems from ignorance. And I don't want to be an ignorant person. I want to learn about the things that make all of us unique. Also, if we're really going here, most of my travel is done domestically. And it's because I'm running a half marathon in every state, using my platform to raise money for underprivileged kids in St. Louis. So in that sense, it's quite literally using travel to make my community a better place. And I wonder about this reviewer, like, In their opinion, what does make someone a better person? Hiding behind a computer and a fake name to judge someone they don't know? Got it. Cool. I think the weirdest part about this, too, is that I said that statement about travel making you a better person in early June in 2018 when Bourdain passed away. So this person has been hate listening to me ever since then. Thank you for the clicks. Like, I appreciate that. But that's sad. For someone to have so much to disdain for me because of where they think I live or because of the color of my skin or because of the privilege that they think I have, that's sad. And I wonder if it would satisfy this person if I stayed incubated and sat in this privilege and didn't learn about different cultures and people. No, it wouldn't. Of course not. They would still hate me for who I am, probably more. And that's okay. But it's also sad. As you can tell, I have a lot going on, and I don't have the time or energy to give one fuck about someone else's vacation time. Unless they want to share a funny story with me or tell me how great their trip was, that I'm into. If people love to travel, great. Keep on traveling. If you like to stay home, if you're a homebody and you don't want to see the world, that's cool too. I love my place. I understand staying home. I love St. Louis. But it just makes me sad that this person seems so miserable in their own life that they would be that bothered 
about me enjoying mine. All right, so I'm going to close this out with a personal message to this reviewer. I started this podcast talking about Kobe Bryant and how tomorrow is promised to no one. I know that sounds cheesy, but it's true. And I'm going to see as much of the world as I can before my time is up because when that day arrives, I never want to have regrets or say, what if? But if we really need to simplify it, I'm going to keep traveling because it makes me happy, which is something it doesn't seem like you are. But you know what? I have a suggestion for you, a recommendation, if you will. Take a vacation. It helps. Thank you so much for listening, for putting up with this terrible voice. I hope I just lost my voice and I'm not sick because I had big plans coming up to go to the Missouri Athletic Club and learn how to play squash. There's actually a clinic there where they teach you about the game and you learn how to play. And I thought it would be great content for this podcast. I'm sure Steve, when he's listening, is laughing out loud because while I'm athletic, I don't know if I would be a great squash player. I'll have to get some footage of that for social. So I hope that I'm not too under the weather and I can still go to the Missouri Athletic Club and check that out. Thank you for listening. Thank you again to Maddie for joining us. We are going to be back in action next week. But until then, keep it real. Thanks for listening to Small Talk. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One app.